19 year of our Lord edition of the Tim Graham show. A lot to talk about. The Bills are 1 and 0. Have a really good chance to be 2 and 0 going into their home opener in week 3. Right now they're getting ready to face the New York Giants at the Meadowlands, a place that they've already won once. And uh but you know something's been on my mind though. This is, you know, my former, well, I guess we're still colleagues. We work at the same radio station. Jerry Sullivan. Uh, actually, Bobby, see if you can get Jerry on the line. All right. Let me see. see what call, call Jerry up here. There's something, there's an interesting dynamic. Now that Jerry is credentialed again to be out at the Buffalo Bills practices and he comes to the games, hasn't been, didn't go to the game against the Jets because it was a road game. He's writing now for the Niagara Gazette, writing a column and didn't travel, but he's going to be at at least all the home games. And there are some games that are drivable that I'm sure will maybe give him a lift to Cleveland or Pittsburgh. Maybe he games get really meaningful late in the season. He'll go on the road. So anyway, Jerry's around again. He's credentialed. But now that he's around again, I'm there's, there's this edge at the news conferences. Now <laughs> there is a, and Bobby, I think you might have it, actually. Do you have uh, the exchange that Jerry Sullivan had with Sean McDermott? Yeah, let's see. Let's listen to this. This is Sean McDermott at today's news conference out at One Bill's Drive being asked a a pointed question by Jerry Sullivan, and there's a back and forth and some word gymnastics. (laughs) There's a difference between a featured back and a number one back, and if so, is Frank Gore also your featured back? Now we're getting in the in the weeds here a little bit, Jerry. Um, so last week I know I disappointed you with my answer. Uh, I said I know last week I disappointed you with my answer. <laughs> Featured back, number one back. Uh, how about just running back? Does that work? Just running back. So Frank Gore is not your featured back, but he's, he's our he's one of our running backs. So you're dodging the question. No, I'm saying he's because one of our running backs. You could send a running back out for the first two carries and call him your number one back. And then another guy carried 15 times. So there is a difference there. Yeah, just trying to win games. Whoever whoever helps us win games, that's who our that's who our featured back is, I guess. So that's Jerry Sullivan uh, quizzing Sean McDermott about how he plans on using these running backs. A lot of people assumed, I think, because of his experience and uh, his credentials, that Frank Gore was going to be the lead back for the Buffalo Bills last week, but. Devin Singletary got the start, and although he didn't get his first carry in, until the third quarter, he had far more snaps than Frank Gore. So Jerry Sullivan wanted to ask him about it. This is my concern, though. It's not just about getting an answer to that question. I'm curious if Jerry Sullivan being around again is hurting other Western New York journalists in their no, – although, all right. That, that's fine. That's fine. I actually want. And so we have Jerry on the line. Jerry, what's what's going on here? You are you're back, and you're. I, I think you may be handicapping fellow journalists in Western New York because Sean McDermott comes out and he's uh, he's uh, he's a little terse. Yeah, Tim. Uh, funny you should use the term weeds because I'm in my backyard getting to do some yard work. And frankly, gardening has become a lot more important to me. And I'm wondering in that press room if I'm creating a negative vibe 
and there's an undercurrent in there, you know, that maybe I'm making it more difficult for others. And you know me, Tim, I'm a team player, and I'm a little concerned about that. I, but yeah, it's funny you should call me and touch on this because it's been troubling me, and I'm, I'm wondering what you're feeling, what, you, what you're feeling about this. Well, I wasn't there today for Sean McDermott's news conference. I was there afterwards. I, we saw each other in the in the locker room after practice. Uh, so, and Matthew Fairburn was talking to Eli Manning at the time this was going on. So he wasn't even a witness to this. So, me hearing it on the audio there for the first time, it uh, I'm curious to know how you feel Sean McDermott is handling it. Is he smiling through this? Is he trying to play it off, or do you think you're getting under his skin? That's a good question because you know the other the fellows say he's you know he's more terse you know if that's possible and less you know expansive than he's been in the past and he is an NFL coach so I don't know I he was laughing last week he's smiling today I, I think he's a little afraid of me and uh, I don't I don't want that Tim uh, you know as one who might be personally responsible for the demise of Buffalo News because of my negativity I, I'm done with that I want to be I want to be one of the good guys. Well, how do you think that you could uh, turn this around? It's not. It's never too late, Jerry, um, th- for you to maybe uh, go about a uh, a personality or a, a professional uh, reconstruction, perhaps. Uh, maybe do you need to go away for a couple of weeks and then come back and try it again? As a new, or do you think you can make the transition, maybe ease it week to week? Well, after being away for for some fourteen months, I think I had enough time away to think about it. And I. I think I've tried, Tim. I think I'm trying. You know, I'm starting to detect a conspiracy within the organization. Now, here's something that no one else, well, there were witnesses to this. Just before the uh, riveting Josh Allen presser afterwards in the, inside the, whatever you call it, the facility, Brian Dable came up to me, shook my hand, and introduced himself. And he said, when I was a kid, I used to read your, your bleep. And he was very friendly about it. But now that now I'm thinking about it, what's something's amiss here? You think he's yeah. maybe just letting you know and maybe taking a shot of meaning, Jerry, you're old. Right. Do you think maybe he's just trying to put you in your place? I think it might be an attempt to soften me up. I mean, come on, I'm there once a week now. I have no power. You know, I right into the night is that I do have the three hour day radio program, but I, it might be trying to soften me up, Tim. You're smarter than me. What do you think? And you know me well enough. What do you think is going to be the result of this? <laughs> <laughs> the bully pulpit. Uh, the three-hour bully pulpit that you have uh, as your show continues to grow. Um, I'm going to say <laughs> that you're probably not going to change if after 14 months you're still coming back and, and finding... Uh, uh, this this strange uh, reception, as you as you call it, this negative vibe that you do, and uh, and that maybe you're a hindrance to the news gathering of of other professionals. You know what, Tim? Uh, on my own radio show, where I've predicted they would be ten and six. Some see that as being positive. I have people. Where's the old Jerry Sullivan? I used to hear that all the time. Whenever I, used to say, I mean, I predict positive things. It wasn't always negative. Where's the old Jerry Sullivan? Well, I got news for you, folks. He's he's there, and he and he'll be back. If I'm creating a negative vibe, 
Well, you just toughen up, okay? All you kitties, toughen up a little bit. Uncle Sully is back. Jerry, I don't. Your line of questioning wasn't even that difficult. It be it turned into a bit of just verbal jousting and, and semantics and trying to define terms rather than actually trying to ask the question. I, you're right. He did dodge the question. Uh, he just instead wanted to define roles or, or or define terms and a perfectly legitimate question. Yeah, and you know what, these guys like I've been dealing with these coaches forever. They're so limited in their ability to, to use the language to, and to, as you say, to play the game of mental gymnastics. Last week, asking about if he if he'd be disappointed to be higher than, not be higher than 18th in scoring against the defense, he could have easily handled that question without saying, oh, I'm going to play him one game at a time, you know? So, I'm enjoying it, though. You know, he's they're trying to be nice to me. That's good. They have they have beer in the press room now, and I noticed that <laughs> no one else is drinking any of it. As I said, kids, come on. You know, it's not 1950, but you can have a beer. It won't compromise the intellectual struggle of writing about sports for a living. <laughs> you know, Jerry, I, I think I'm actually on board with your theory that I don't know if McDermott oh, is, is a, a, yeah. Here, it's no, you were in there. Well, yeah, you're. I know you're. You're insulting me as part of this. You know <laughs> these kitties, or so you call us. But I think there's something too, Sean. Being, if not afraid, a little bit uneasy. I mean, you are front and center there. You're one of the first people he sees, and he does his nervous tick. It doesn't matter what you ask him. You could ask him you know, the most innocent question, but he's always laughing. Laughing is like his thing that he does when yeah. you ask a question that he doesn't want to answer. He does it quite frequently. And I think there might be something there, and I, I think it's a good thing. I think if it hinders people's news gathering, I, I, I think it's the opposite. I think it's possible over time that that will, you know, create a, a certain answer, asking questions a certain way from a person that, Maybe it makes him a little bit uncomfortable. Hey, that sounds like a Missouri graduate there speaking. So what you're saying is that I can I'm actually a positive influence. And that if I'm having some some misgivings about my presence in there that you guys do like me. All I, all I know is you make all of us feel warm and fuzzy and you make them feel the opposite, which is the exact right combination we need. <laughs> do you think in a, a two, two of these and people say he's even less expansive than ever. Is that just because it's his third year and he's getting sick of this stuff? I think it's because it's the regular season. I think if people reflected back to last regular season, once the season starts, he is a different guy. And that's probably true of a lot of coaches. They don't sleep enough. They spend too much time staring at a screen, watching film. They're, they don't get enough sunlight, and they're short with us. And they have to meet with us probably too often it's what four times a week uh that he has to talk to us so i think it's a regular season thing more than it is and i don't want to you know take any air out of your tires here but um i don't think it's simply uh you that's causing him to be short he's just short in general and yeah he's probably a little bit disarmed when he walks in probably breathes a sigh of relief when when you're not sitting there front and center but uh, I think it's also a product of the time of year. That, 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 I'm laughing now because you know what I asked Devin Singletary today? If he was 
always short. He kind of handled it well, but it's it, you know, kind of it's kind of funny. Because I said, I just wanted to know, you know, if he was always short. <laughs> meaning I said, I've always been short. Meaning that I'm he was not- never tall at one point. Yeah. Right. Not like even, asking even Doug Williams if he's if he's always been a black quarterback. Exactly. I was trying to think of the parallel, but uh, no, it wasn't that bad. It is, I thought it was a pertinent question. You know, sometimes you ask these guys questions they haven't heard, and, and uh, well, no, he didn't give a very good answer, actually, but uh, he was always fast. Well, Jerry, we're going to let you go because it yeah, well, sounds okay. like you're, uh, you're talking to us uh, underwater. Oh really? No, he just gets soft be. and then starts talking quieter. Yeah, you're on. It's kind it of could muffled. Be my phone. You know what? I someone just told me last week that I was pointing the right, the wrong end of the phone at people during interviews. You'd think at my age I would know that, but uh, oh my you've God. been around me long enough. You know who that person was? It was Tim Graham. Jesus. It was you. Okay. Yeah, it was. So you think I noticed you're that? Always there for me, and here in my time of need today, you've been here for me. And you've lifted me up, Tim, and I want to thank you for that. Do you are you feeling better about things now that you're that you're not wearing out your welcome among your fellow scribes that you I am. that you do have a place there and that we want you there, and uh, that you are not uh, tripping us up and trying to get the latest information about you know who's going to catch the punts this week. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think as I said, the, the, the inter- intellectual struggle of sports journalism. I, I'm now feeling I'm not compromising it for others. So I'm going to move forward. I'm going to soldier forward, and I'm going to cut my grass, guys. You have a good show. I'll be listening. All right. Jerry Sullivan <laughs> from the Jerry Sullivan Show Stay joining hydrated. us here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Jerry Sullivan of the Niagara Gazette, I should also say. Check out his columns there at NiagaraGazette.com. It's actually Niagara-Gazette.com. Okay. I, I just want to chime in. I <laughs> I would argue that. The presence of Jerry Sullivan specifically, but a critical columnist generally, was missing last year. And definitely noticed that there wasn't somebody there asking some of those questions. Not that you guys don't ask tough questions, but a columnist and a beat writer kind of approach these things differently and not writing those columns. And You're right. People do write columns, but not in the same vein that Jerry Sullivan has done for 30-plus years in this market. Bucky Gleason's no longer there. Some of the best press conference exchanges, the the toughest questions were asked by those two in the last however many years. 100%. And both were gone last year. I think you were being a little rhetorical with this segment, but if there is a reporter that thinks Jerry's bringing down the vibe there, I mean, they can kick rocks. They don't really know what's good for them and, and the rest of us. The, the other part of it, too, whether or not Matthew and I ask tough questions or Joe Biscaglia or anybody in particular, but Matthew and I have come, we've had this discussion before off the air. I don't think I'm telling any secrets. Matthew and I go into these news conferences, we tend not to ask any questions because I don't want anybody else to know what I'm working on. I don't want to give a quote that everybody else can use because I have a tendency to think I ask better questions than anybody else, and everybody else gets to use my material, essentially, when I ask a question. So I don't ask them. I don't go to Sean McDermott's news conferences for that reason, other than if I want to learn, but I can listen on the radio, I can uh, fire up my laptop and, and watch on Bills.com. I, there's all kinds of ways I can find out what Sean McDermott had to say about the news of the day or an injury or a position battle. Uh, but if I want to get good information, I know where to go find an answer for it. I don't need to ask the head coach in front of all these cameras and other reporters. So that's kind of, But when you're writing a column, 
asking those questions, you're not necessarily, if you're writing a column and you have your opinion, you're not, you can share a quote, but you're not sharing your material because your material comes from within you. It's your own. It's your opinion. So that's why I, you're right. And this is where I'm agreeing with you, Jonah. The columnist can ask these questions and get a response or a reaction. Or, And I'm not saying they're fishing for a reaction, but they want to know what is your response to this. And they don't use the quote. They use just the, the general information, the tone, the feeling, um, if somebody is nervous or worked up about it. So, yeah, it's uh, otherwise, though, if you're just there reporting on the team, these are all things that appear on transaction reports. You know, it's it's uh, these this news conference material becomes so ubiquitous it, it, that it doesn't serve us as journalists any good. And I'm saying us as Matthew and I, the athletic, if you're going to go get this information anywhere for free, whether it be on some fantasy site with an injury update or, a, you know, uh, whatever, what Sean McDermott had to say is not news anymore. It used to be, but it's not news anymore. What you can get it anywhere. What's news is the thing that you can go into the locker room or pick up the phone and call somebody and find out that nobody else gets. And uh, the columnist doesn't need to worry about that. So you're right. That's where Bucky and Sully or whoever wants to put on the columnist cap um, has a chance to to go down there and and kind of feast to a certain degree. And, and television and radio are a little bit different. They need some of these things to be said or answered by Sean McDermott in those press conferences. So while it's perfectly understandable why you and Matt might not ask questions at the press conference, it doesn't serve the beat. Like if we're talking to the original premise with talking to Jerry, Jerry asking these questions, even if they put Sean McDermott in a little bit of a, a mood, is better for everybody there than what you guys are doing, not, not asking those questions. I would agree. I also think there's something to – you know, Jerry asking a question, Jerry and I could ask the same question and he's probably going to get a different response because me being there every day and kind of building a rapport with McDermott or whoever, and I might ask a question and phrase it in such a way that, you know, maybe it gets a response or I might not be the best example, maybe somebody that Sean likes a little bit better or something. But when Sully asked it, it's, you know, he has a certain tone, a certain combative nature about it. And, and it's not every question that's like that, but that creates a different air. And I think, like you said, serves serves the beat in a better way because that's when you're going to get a human response from – that's when you knock the guy off autopilot is when you can throw him off balance and, and hit him with a question in a different way. Or sometimes it's not even a question, as you know, Sully showed with the back and forth that is you know pretty – you know, it's a thing Sully does, and it's a thing Bucky did, and, you know, sometimes Benini, but, you know, Adam Benini from Channel 2, but uh, you don't see too many guys doing that type of thing. No. A little verbal sparring. And it works best for television. And you see the guy get uncomfortable. It's hard in a in a column to you, to, you can portray it in words, but, yeah, it's getting the guy uncomfortable or... You know that's that's where it re- you really get some insight, or the viewer can can see for themselves. Well, wow, he is nervous here, or he he is uh, he is in a bind with this question. He's trying to bail out of this question and can't figure out how to do it. 
Jonah, did you have something else there? I thought you looked like yes. you had a. Well, I was going to say something, and then actually the email just came in. I was interested to see if that back and forth showed up on the official transcript because last week the little, you know, hi, how you doing between Sean McDermott and Jerry Sullivan was not included in the transcript. <laughs> but I'm looking here. I, I don't know if maybe some of it was left out, but it, the back and forth about Frank Gore is in the transcript and should be. If it's a transcript, everything that is said should be included on the transcript. 100%. A lot of that stuff gets uh, left off. I do also like uh, some transcripts will actually say who's asking the question uh, from some team's transcripts, um, and they will go verbatim, and I, I like that. Obviously, you can read it and get a better sense because when you're just re- it just comes off as wooden when you're taking a look at a transcript. You get zero feel from it, which is why I find it dangerous when there are aggregators out there, uh, media aggregators, that will take a transcript pull a quote from a transcript that they find to be interesting when really it wasn't because of the way it was said. Context. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny. Like, like in, for instance, it, it, and it works both ways, when you listen to Bill Belichick talk, it sounds incredibly boring. But when you read what he said, it usually comes alive because of the vernacular that he uses. And the, you find that he is actually answering the question a lot more thoroughly, maybe not comprehensively or as much as you wanted him to, but more than you thought he was when you were listening to him answer your question. Uh, All right. When we come back, uh, we're going to have more Bills talk. We're going to get into what happened against the Jets, uh, what could happen this Sunday against the New York Giants back at the Meadowlands. Uh, We're going to have Zig Fracassi, Niagara Falls native and Sirius XM NFL radio uh, host. He's going to join us to give us his thoughts. Uh, well, we're going to ask him about what's going on with Antonio Brown, what happened uh, Monday night with the Raiders, uh, what's going on with the Bills. Uh, Zig grew up a Cowboys fan, Ooh. so I'm sure he has some thoughts about what's going on in Dallas. Uh, when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Sports writer Tim Graham, who interviewed the Duggernaut. This is historic, Tim. Hey, let's not fake a newcomer. It's cucumber. Our friend Tim Graham. Hilton.com has 16 top hotel brands. Hampton, Hilton Garden Inn, Waldorf Astoria. Hilton.com. You should totally do their commercials. Expect better. Expect Hilton. You're good. I know. Thank you. Applicable terms and conditions at Hilton.com. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. What are you looking at now? Nothing. What are you looking at now? Nothing. Here's what a poor boob looks like. I've got news for you. This poor boob is you. Taking your calls at 270-1270. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by I had to call it up. <laughs> I have I need a script to begin with. I, I'm terrified that I'm gonna mispronounce one of the names. I'm still at that stage. 
I should be reciting this and maybe be playing a, a old cassette tape in my sleep for subliminal training I feel like purposes. this is better for them, though, because it draws things out. Well. Problem solves it on the fly. The Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Celebrating their 25th anniversary this year. I feel awful, really. They're, they're rebranding. They're going to go eventually to CTBK. So when I say that, I feel like I'm robbing them when I say the Tim Graham Show brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. And I know the commercials run during the break where it mentions Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner. But every once in a while on the show, I want to make sure I say it. It's a personal touch. It is. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner. CPAs and business consultants, 716-630-2400. For all your merger and acquisition needs, 716-630... What? What? (laughs) (laughs) 716-630-2400. They are going to pull this sponsorship any minute. Is Is the contract all been signed? No! They could they could pull the plug at any minute. This is radio. Contracts are worthless in radio. And you know who probably knows a little something about that? Zig Fricasi, who's joining us now on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Zig how are you? Timmy, you're battling my friend, but it sounded great. How are you? All right, well... <laughs> I don't know that it sounded so great. Uh, How the, are you, man? the K in CTBK has just texted me, so I dread okay. to see what he has to say about it. Maybe I'll wait until the commercial break. Yes. So, speaking of contracts that can be ripped up in radio, um, what give give me a good radio horror story, Zig? Because I know you got one. Oh, jeez. Um, gosh, did I've been shut down twice? Uh, let's see that I, when I got my start in radio in a, at a country music station in our old stopping grounds in Vegas, they changed the format right around Christmas time. Are those horror stories enough for you? You don't (laughs) sound like you have a quintessential country music, uh, radio voice. Did you have to throw, did you insert a twang in there or what'd you do? No, you know, I tried to go Andy Jackson on 1348 K-Ram. Yeah, and the thing was, I didn't know a damn thing about country music, but I was eager for the opportunity, and I learned kind of quick, to be quite honest. It was a, it was a lot of fun, but uh, losing your gig at Christmas time before the holidays, man, that was not fun. I can tell you that. You said you've been shut down twice. What do you mean by that? Sports fan radio. Oh, right, right. And Which of I... course, and of course, M- WNSA Empire Sports. I see. Yeah, you mean the business. I was thinking you got shut down. Like, Zig was getting too controversial. We got to get him off the air. Oh, gosh, no. Maybe too honest at times, yeah, but nothing nothing like that, believe me. Well, Zig, what's your take on the first week of the NFL? This is soap opera season uh, as much as it is regular season, and I've come to realize in the NFL, even when it comes to uh, Ray Rice or whatever, Adrian Peterson – even the negative stories have a way to drive attention to the league. 
uh, the league doesn't ever seem to lose stride. And I'm not saying that they court these types of stories or they welcome them even. I'm sure they would like for them all to go away. But it seems as though that the NFL is such a fascinating, uh, almost television series uh, that people just want to tune in no matter what and find out what's going on. And the games are almost ancillary. You know, and the thing was, Timmy, I, I did the show on Saturday afternoons from 5 to 8, and literally a minute or two before I went on the air, uh, we got the news about, you know, Antonio Brown going to New England. And there was, you know, people calling in, Scott Pioli and myself, talking about, well, this seems like a conspiracy theory that somehow he wound up with the Patriots. Well, Geez, you blow a $30 million contract because you act up the way you did, and now you're going to a team with, what, fifth, uh, half of that with $9 million in guarantees. So that kind of drove the show and talking about that and obviously uh, the uh, off-the-field drama and all that. But, you know, I, I think once the games actually kicked off on Sunday – I think we kind of forgot the Antonio Brown drama. A couple things, Timmy, you were asking me what stuck out in week one. I think the Browns got their royal comeuppance against the Titans. You know, it was 28 points unanswered by Tennessee and 18 penalties by Cleveland. They got a long way to go. You know, the Ravens played 7-on-7 seven seven against Miami, hanging up 42 in the first half, 59 for the game. Love the Bills. I mean, coming back from – you know, 16-0 down, and it's amazing, Tim, what happens when one key guy goes down, which in the Jets' case was obviously C.J. Mosley because he's their defensive leader. Once he got injured, the tone of the game changed. The Jets melted and the Bills came back. Mahomes, there's no sophomore jinx for him. Uh, Dak Prescott's got more weapons to use now through for over 400 yards. Dallas looked very good against the Giants. Those were some of the things that stuck out to me that weren't Antonio Brown related. Let's stay with Antonio Brown just for a minute, uh, Zig. Uh, I don't know how tired you are of talking about it, but it seems as though there's so much new information almost every other hour uh, <laughs> that you can talk about. But Back to Saturday. Uh, one thing that I found intriguing about the signing, uh, the Patriots bringing in Antonio Brown right after the Oakland Raiders cut him, is that I think if any other team in the league, well, I guess maybe not a Kansas City or the L.A. Rams, let's say probably 26 or 27 teams in the league had signed Antonio Brown, the rest of the NFL would be laughing at that team. But when a team like the Patriots brings him in, now everybody is like, oh, my God, yeah, we we are screwed. Or how come we didn't sign him? Yeah, we don't want him until the Patriots sign him. It's like, ah, how come we didn't get him? And that's what we found really with Bills fans uh, who were laughing at Antonio Brown because there was that flirtation or a believed flirtation that the, that the Bills were looking at bringing him in at some point. Uh, before uh, the Steelers traded him to Oakland, and that and that uh, they were laughing at the Raiders, and they were about to unload their laughter on any other team until the Patriots signed him. And then I'm seeing on social media, we're so stupid. Why why couldn't we get Antonio Brown? <laughs> well, you know, I think the thing is, Timmy, it's what do the Patriots know that everybody else doesn't? I think that's that cachet that they have. I, I think it also goes to show that. You know, New England, here's a franchise that in the past has taken on guys like a Randy Moss, like, you know, some of these other sort of wayward uh, souls. Corey Dillon, in fact, Scott Pioli was telling us about when he was with New England, 
and when they took Corey in, that he was an awfully contrite young man for some of the things that went on during his time in Cincinnati, and that basically, you know, he wanted to, you know, divorce himself of that bad behavior and just be a good guy and a good teammate. And the Patriots got a lot of charge out of him. They've been patient with Josh Gordon, especially, you know, with his off-the-field issues, and everybody seems to be rooting for him because, you know, Josh Gordon is not like an Antonio Brown where he seems to be an attention seeker. Josh Gordon seems to be a really good guy that just happens to have, you know, an issue, and hopefully he gets over that. So Rodney Harrison, by the way, Zig, another great almost borderline reclamation project because he was known at the time when he left the San Diego Chargers of being the filthiest player in the NFL – we're tired of yep. these antics. The Patriots take him in and reclamation project. However, they do have the Chad Ochocinco's, the Albert Hainsworths, Michael Floyd. They they have tried to bring in guys that haven't worked out. Well, yeah, and and that and that again, you you try to get them to abide into what is called the Patriot way, which seems to be, you know, you've got really good leaders in that locker room at that time. To me, we were talking about with. You know, Chad Oshosinko or even Corey Dillon or Randy Moss, you had guys like Brewski and Vrabel around, Richard Seymour, Vince Wilfork, guys like this, Brady. And now you've got the McCourty twins, you know, Dante, Dante Hightower, guys like that that have this impeccable character. So everybody needs to, you know, abide by the rules. Belichick won't have any tolerance for it, so that's why if it's New England picking up a wayward soul, then it's like, all right, it's one of two things. One, they see something that the other teams don't, or two, this may be that player's last option before he may be banned from the league altogether. Zig, this is Matt Fairburn here, uh, joining Tim Graham today. The Patriot way is an interesting concept to me because a lot of people around here will roll their eyes when they hear that. And I think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding that, you know, the Patriot way means all they bring in is is choir boys who do things the right way. But I'd like to to hear your thoughts on, on kind of what it means to you in terms of what they're willing to do uh, or what they're willing to tolerate if they get, um, you know, a certain characteristic out of a player well man that's what i I think it is you know as timmy and i were talking about i think it it, it just goes to show that there the rope that these players have you know isn't a very long one they have to prove themselves regardless of their standing elsewhere you know randy moss is a hall of famer but in new england they didn't care about that and basically was told to straighten up and not, and he became, you know, Mr. Kraft, Robert Kraft, and Randy Moss became very, very close through the years. So I think it's one of those things where you're expected to win. And, and another, you know, kind of hook to this, too, is a lot of these guys that have been brought in haven't won before. So the idea is if they are troubled, you know, you want to win, but you still want to play on a high level, New England seems to be sort of that place to be able to do it. Obviously, you've got a strong owner and management. Belichick, the greatest coach of all time, many would say. Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time. You know, they've missed on some guys just like everyone else has. They've missed on draft picks just like other teams have. But when you've got that constant, the organization is there each and every year. And when you've got that constant of solid ownership, the best coach of all time, 
the greatest quarterback of all time, all the other dominoes seem to sort of fall into place, which is why New England, I think, can afford to take their chances on guys uh, like the ones we've talked about. We're in conversation with Zig Fricasse of Sirius XM NFL Radio and from Niagara Falls, Pride. Uh, yes. Uh, Pride. We're, we're, I'm sorry, I always forget. Did you go to Niagara Falls High School? Niagara Catholic, which Niagara is no Catholic. longer open, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. Well, I always like to give out the, the plug right. to the alma mater whenever I can for the local guys. I appreciate that, my friend. What happens to when you don't have a school anymore in terms of <laughs> alumni or reunions? I mean, did, did, something, did you roll over into another school, or do you, well, no. did, can you claim any other school here? Uh, I think actually my, my, my grade school, I think even closed to our lady of Mount Carmel. So I'm like schoolless, but you know, the funny, I guess it's not funny, but the ironic thing was I was supposed to come home. What was it? July of last year, because they had chosen me to be distinguished alumni from Niagara Catholic. And I thought that was like a really nice, really nice honor. So, you know, making all the arrangements to come home. And I kid you not, Timmy, the week before the dinner was to take place, I get a call from uh, one of the organizers and says, Zig, we're sorry we're not having the dinner because the Niagara Catholic announced that they're closing. And, you know, I'm saying to myself, geez, see what happens when you honor me? The freaking school closes. So, but, uh, you know, it, it was a great education. And unfortunately, we're seeing Catholic schools close around the nation. We all we don't have to go into that, what's going on uh, with those lawsuits and everything like that. Even Western New York, there's a lot of them that are either closing or, you know, downsizing. And I hate to see it because uh, my four years at Niagara Catholic were really, really good. And I thought Catholic education. Uh, it's different than the public school, and I, I really enjoyed my four years there. Well, you know, none of the high schools in Niagara Falls that were open when Zig would have went to high school are still there. Really? You're, you're right, because Trot closed. Uh, Niagara LaSalle. Falls merged in with LaSalle. You're right. And they, they're at this state-of-the-art school there off Packard Road, so, or Porter Road, I think it is. Yeah, so. Porter. Well, Zig, uh, I don't want to stay all the way on uh, Antonio Brown for the whole segment. He's a walking, breathing crisis. So let's actually shift it to another crisis in the making. Uh, Two teams that are heading uh, up against each other on Monday Night Football, Cleveland at New York Jets. uh, And one of these teams is going to be 0-2, a team that had big hopes. Uh, The Jets are either going to be 0-2 at both games at home or you're going to have the Cleveland Browns. Everybody was uh, uh, just penciling in as uh, a team that was going to make a run for the Super Bowl because the, I guess it's fun to do that and to and to say that such a thing about the Cleveland Browns with all the, the players that they have. Freddie Kitchens or Adam Gase is going to be on the hot seat in about four days. Yeah, I mean, unless, you know, they play to tie on Odell Beckham's watch, I guess, but uh, that's going to be the, you know, the main storyline, guys, since, you know, we're based here around New York City. You're already starting to hear, you know, the buzz about OBJ coming back to MetLife Stadium, obviously, this time uh, with the, the Cleveland Browns against the Jets, but you're right, and you know, that game last week against uh, Tennessee I thought was really disappointing. Um, that, that Browns offensive line uh, allowed Baker to get hit quite a bit, and then there was that sequence in the fourth quarter, throws those three interceptions, Tennessee pulls away. So uh, Cleveland needs to write their stuff, you know, rather quickly here. And now, unfortunately, they're dealing with the um, 
passing of the um, the defensive lineman's uh, girlfriend today. Uh, defensive end um, Chris, Smith. Chris Smith. Yeah, that was that was a horrible story. Where the young lady they they were pulled over for a tire malfunction in his car. And they hit a median, and then she exited the car and unfortunately was struck by a 47-year-old woman and was pronounced dead later. And they just uh, had a child together. So now you got to wonder, too, again, real life and all this and the heartache and trauma that that is, where's Cleveland's mindset going to be? And to the Jets, you lose in Nunwa for the rest of the year, second time in three years, guys, with a, uh, with a neck injury. Uh, they didn't show a whole lot. I understand Sam Darnold was sent home from practice today with strep throat. How long does it take for him to heal over that? So, um, I don't know. I think the pressure's on both of them because when you start 0-2, your chances aren't very good of getting to the playoffs. So, I don't know. If I'm a betting man, maybe I roll a little bit towards Cleveland to get their act together on Monday night. One last thought before we go, Zig, because it was shocking to me how big of a blowout it was. Uh, your thoughts on the Steelers. Are they as bad as we saw them on Monday night? Or, excuse me, Sunday night? I, I don't – you know what, Timmy? I, I hope not. I mean, last year, you know, they had, they had the built-in distractions, so we figured maybe that was their excuse. But uh, New England delivered a surgical blow to them on Sunday night. I mean, they were doing everything right – you know, Big Ben couldn't get into any kind of rhythm. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, he was dinged up in this game. He's supposed to be the main wideout. You would think that they come back uh, fairly optimistic. Big Ben even call it the sky's still blue. Seattle comes in this week, so you think, um, you know, a West Coast team coming to the East Coast playing a 10 a.m. Pacific body clock type of game. You would think Pittsburgh should bounce back in their opener Though their schedule, they got some tough games. Ravens and the Chargers, Rams along the way. It could be a little bit touch and go for Pittsburgh. That defense wasn't very good in the opener. It's got to be better for them to have a chance at the playoffs. Zig Fricasi, Sirius XM NFL Radio, and the pride of Niagara Catholic. Whether he won his <laughs> distingu- whether he received his distinguished alumni award or not. Thanks for joining us, uh, Zig. Jimmy. It's it's always a pleasure to hear your voice. Dude, my friend, always a pleasure having known you all these years. Keep up the outstanding work on 1270 and at The Athletic, my man. Thanks so much. We hope to talk to you again soon. That's Zig Fercasi from Niagara Falls joining us here on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. When we come back, we're going to have more Bills talk, maybe a surprise or two. And that's all I'm going to say. After this, on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. That's trash. Graham Show. People losing their load over Josh Allen. That's not, that doesn't get me off. That doesn't get me off the go ahead and jot down that time, too, Bob. On Twitter at 1270thefan. My fifth year incoming altar boy class, I think, was bigger and better than any other class. The Tim Graham Show.
Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan, I am Tim Graham from The Athletic, here in studio with my co-host, Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Consolidated. He's used uh, CTBK for his latest uh, consolidated merger, picking up a role at Madai College teaching sports journalism. And we merged that together with... uh your teaching career yesterday. That's right. Tuesday I came in and uh, spoke with Jonah's class, imparted some of the thoughts that I've had about my teaching at Canisius College. I also teach sports journalism. It's been eight years. I was surprised when I was talking to the kids there, and I was it came off the top of my head how many years I've been doing it. I thought it, it feels like four or five, but then it was 2011 was my first class. No, two, uh, seven, seven years, 2012. This is my first class. You're getting in the seven-year itch. Yes, I'm going to try to. Uh, I'm going to cheat on Canisius with uh, Niagara. Were you able to get Stephen A. yet? <laughs> no, that that was requested. I put in uh, a call, but no, Stephen A. hasn't come to Madai College yet. You asked you asked your students who they'd want to hear from. Yeah, and did any of them say me? No, but when I did tell them you were coming in, a couple of them were pretty excited about that. They knew who you were and wanted to ask you. I was surprised that no O.J. Simpson questions came up because they had that that came up in the class before pretty quickly. The problem was uh, that I'm so I'm such a windbag that I didn't really elicit a lot of questions. The kids were ready; they did have questions. Oh, you just talked. Yeah, I'm a, I I talk through things, you? especially when they if I don't know what they're going to ask. Yeah, and they asked me a they asked a, a, a couple of really good questions. I can't just think of an answer and give it i end up talking myself through an answer i'm talking it out in front of everybody and uh yeah that's probably a writer's mind i Mm -hmm. guess and so that ends up being a long-winded answer but i enjoyed it we got i mean there was 13 kids in the class 12 of them asked a question a few of them asked more than one so oh wow you did more questions 12 12 12 answers i was there for an hour and a half hour and a half news conference um, Bobby Rosati did on the knobs. Don't want to leave him out. Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic. He's here in studio for the full two hours. Guys, I want to throw this out there just as a thinker. This is just a thought-provoking question. I'm not saying that there is any kind of quarterback controversy. Josh Allen's the quarterback. He should be the, the quarterback, start all 16 games. I just want to throw this out there as something to mull. What would the score have been if Matt Barkley had started the game for the Bills on Sunday? Well, the last How, time he was there, he got he scored 41. Right. I think that you would have played a safer game. I think that the Bills would have won comfortably with Matt Barkley at quarterback. You know, the offense was moving the football pretty efficiently outside of the turnovers. But I don't know that a lot of those throws are throws that Matt Barkley can't make. Josh Allen wasn't making those up until probably that last throw, um, you know, to John Brown and a few of the other ones to Brown on crossing patterns. Those weren't necessarily the, the Josh Allen brand throws. So I think you're right. They probably played a little bit safer. They ran the ball well uh, when they gave Devin Singletary the chance. I think it's a, an interesting thought, and even if you if you switch quarterbacks, 
you know, it's probably you're having a similar conversation. Because, you mean switch put if Darnold were the Bills quarterback and Allen were the Jets quarterback? Yeah. Then the Bills probably win easily also. I think so. I mean, I think because I think the main point is that they won because of their defense. If you strip away the the glitz and glamour of what Josh Allen did in the fourth quarter, which they needed to win the game, the defense dragged them to that point, kicking and screaming. So, yeah, I think the if you switch quarterbacks, whether it's your backup or whether it was swapping Sam Darnold for Josh Allen, then I think it's a – it's an interesting food for thought. Yeah. Josh Allen, four turnovers in the first half. Not all his fault. There was a botch snap in which he probably bailed out a little too early, but there's a center who's involved in that also. Uh, two passes that were off of somebody else. Cole Beasley bobbled one. Maybe it was too hot to handle, too cold to hold. And uh, there another one was deflected at the line of scrimmage. So really, the strip sack is the only one that's 100% on Josh Allen. Still, four turnovers. Uh, I don't know if uh, Matt Barkley gets as uh, reckless as Josh Allen did on a couple of plays that should have been turnovers. He had one interception that was dropped and another interception that was overturned by a penalty that really didn't have any bearing on the, on the play. And a fumble that they kept. Oh, that's right, yeah. They also had a fumble that... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think, was it Quentin Spain fell on it or who fell on it? One of those big fellas. I think it was. I do yeah. remember. I think but it was the, Quentin the thing Spain. about fumbles is, you know, as a team, you get credit for recovering that fumble, but as the person who fumbled, that's just as bad as losing a fumble. <laughs> that's yeah, right. it's a, yeah. That is the biggest luck play in football, I think. Right. Is the way the ball what bounces. happens after you fumble because the ball bounces funny. And yeah, he was not not perfect in a lot of ways. And in a weird way, it's like they don't win that game without him because of how he played in the fourth quarter, but they're also not in that position without him either because of him turning the football over. He's going to be, I have a feeling, that that type of quarterback where on Monday and Tuesday, people can't make up their mind about how they feel about the way that he played. I don't think this is going to be a cut-and-dry eight, nine, ten games into the season where it's like the Bills have their franchise guy. I think it's going to be a constant argument because of the way that he plays and, you know, the the reckless style that causes some of these highs and lows within games. And, you know, he's also going to see better defenses than the Jets. The Jets' secondary is thought to be bottom half of the league would probably be putting it nicely. So, I don't know, it's an it's an interesting conversation because of what Josh Allen is and he's so unique in that way. You know, Sam Darnold's game pretty cut and dry was, you know, and and a lot of his games are that way. Whereas Josh Allen just has a way of having these peaks and valleys even within games that make it so hard to really pin down a, an evaluation. It was similar to the game at New Era Field last year. If you look at Josh Allen making some critical turnovers late, the only difference is in that game the Jets drove down and scored in the fourth quarter and won the game, and, and they didn't do that. And I kind of thought they were going to do that at the end of the game Sunday, and all this comeback, and as well as the Bills played in the fourth quarter, might have been for naught, and if they had a good kicker, that game could have turned out quite differently as well. Yeah, the kicking part, I mean, they already have a new kicker. 
thanks to how things went and and i i think to the point about you know the the near turnovers because a lot of people want to talk about how these four turnovers weren't his fault which sure i mean a few of them weren't but you know you can play that game both ways because if that interception doesn't get dropped you're not really talking about these two great drives he had you're talking about the crucial turnover that cost him a game so the margin of error is so razor thin and luck plays such a part in the narrative a lot of times i mean the i I think the resounding sentiment and thought monday and tuesday you know when people went into work and said gee what'd you think about the bills was probably well they won you know and and that it's true they're one and oh but uh an imperfect way to get there for sure it was I'd say a lot closer to a Nathan Peterman performance than the spectacular game-winning performance that the Bills fans are really latching to. But I think there's something, there's an allure with, you know, Jim Kelly used to do that. He'd have three interceptions in the first quarter, shake it off and come back and throw four touchdowns. And I think Josh Allen reminds some Bills fans in that way of Jim Kelly. I will also say that the reason, you know, you're right, that first half, if it were Peterman – would have been a lot, you know, more widely mocked and and criticized and all that. But the difference is Peterman never had the the other side of the coin that Josh Allen has in the fourth quarter. I think that's the the thing that makes his game so weird is that there was such a stark difference between the two. Uh, and we obviously never saw Nathan Peterman bounce back from that. And I think probably the most encouraging part about Josh Allen on Sunday was that it doesn't matter how much goes wrong. He continues to just go for it and, and play his game. And you saw it work out in the fourth quarter. You'd like to see it work out for four quarters and, and him maybe or three quarters and he can put it on ice in the fourth quarter as opposed to having to scramble back. But the fact that he can have an, an almost Nathan Peterman esque uh, first half, and then bounce back to be near perfect in the fourth quarter shows that he's got a little bit more between the ears than than Peterman. All right, when we come back, we're going to have more Bills talk. We'll get into the upcoming game, Sunday against the Jets. Oh, Sunday against the happened. Giants. <laughs> what is with me, man? I haven't even been drinking. Back in NJ, though. What about NJ? Oh, you'll be back in NJ. I was drinking in NJ. I did. I did a little bit. (laughs) Gambled a lot, too. We should get into that. Legalized sports betting. We downloaded the app on our phones. Matthew Fairburn and I did, as did Joe Buxcaglia. And we sat at the Newark Airport Marriott on Saturday and drank and gambled and had a good old time. Guy stuff. There was there was fist pumping going on. There were some cheers being let out. Ooh. Joe had money on Incarnate Word, a program I didn't even know existed. They were twenty eight point favorites, and they were favored by four touchdowns. Joe had to sweat that one out. I don't think he won it. He didn't. All right, we can get, we have all kinds of fun stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about the Bills at the Giants. We're going to talk about Eli Manning. Matthew Fairburn was on the horn with him today, and uh, much much more. On the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants.
You're listening to Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Niagara Falls, Buffalo, your home for the CBS Sports Radio Network. Download the TuneIn app so you can take Sports Radio 1270 The Fan with you wherever you go. This is Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yeah, huh? I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I did old, uh, some poll uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Wet mall. Taking your calls at 270-1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament? Huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. That still is a kick to hear Howard Stern say that, man. I can't even imagine. And it was such a fleeting thing. He doesn't even remember. He probably didn't even remember saying it. Like registered Half everything. hour after he right. said it. If somebody was said, what do you think of that Tim Graham, really? And he'd be like, who's Tim Graham? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I listen to his show all the time. And it's uh, when he talks about segments from five years ago or whatever. And Gary, the producer, will come on and mention some bit that they did or mm-hmm. some very famous person who was interviewed like um i don't know let's say eric clapton okay and he won't remember eric he's like well, eric or he'll say has eric clapton ever been on the show oh, he, yeah. he'll, he'll do yeah. that a lot he'll be he'll be yeah. on a riff on something he'll say as uh and didn't uh pharrell say that's a little bit of his kind of like to make him a little more airy and a little more like oh yeah i don't, I don't remember your name because i'm howard stern he said that's kind of the thing Remember when we had Scott yeah, on? Yeah, that's true. He was like, he just pretends not to know my name, even though right. I worked for him for, you know, four years. And then uh, there's this Christian Bale. I saw a thing about yeah. him over the weekend. Has he ever been on our show? Yeah. Like, and Robin will say, yes. <laughs> so anyway. Hey, Tim, I, I think you were listening to that live when he started talking about you in the interview. Correct? I was. Did mm-hmm. you think about calling in? No. Absolutely not. You I thought got right I, was, I was holding my breath that I was not going to get skewered. But what about the next segment after that didn't happen? No, I didn't. In fact, I was on my way to the studio here to be on Jerry Sullivan's show. Yeah. I was going to sit in with Jerry for the day, which I did. But yeah, so no, I, I didn't. I was just beside myself because he's somebody that's been influential to me. Not only, clearly, I don't have a radio career, but as an interviewer, as somebody, when I think about, hey, can you get away with this? And that actually is was a standard for me. Is like, well, they say it on Stern, <laughs> which is dangerous. Got, but at least that you knew that that was the limit. That was at least the limit. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah I would I would constantly wonder what would they do on the Howard Stern show in this case. And I started listening to him in 1992 when I was a senior in college. He was on right? 98.5 FM in Cleveland classic rock station and i happened to that's the station i would listen to while i was working you know doing schoolwork and i remember flipping it on one morning while i was getting ready for class and it was still on 98.5 from the night before and i heard it and i was blown away Mm -hmm. just blown away about what you could and could not do on radio and the things that they would talk about without breaking fcc rules Mm -hmm. but it was so it was super edgy and the show still is edgy but 
totally different than what it is now. He's completely. He's a. The it's hard to explain. Softened. Yeah, he he lets everybody else have the edge. He now sits back and watches. He's almost like a puppet master, and he lets everybody on his show break all the rules. Well, it's serious radio, so there was no FCC, so they can say and do whatever they want. But he stands back, and he's politically incorrect, and then he instigates and encourages everybody else to uh, say all the things that he used to say. Mm -hmm. And then he can probably half-heartedly or half-jokingly shame them or make fun of them. Which and- is kind of funny because if you remember in his book and obviously the the movie that followed, uh, Private Parts, he talks about Don Imus and how they suggested uh, playing characters and making characters the way, you know, Imus did it. And Stern, he, he stayed away from that his whole career, and now he has a character list of his own. I mean, literally, like, guys, the Whack Pack, all these guys that come in, I mean, it's brilliant. It is. Well, they've had the whack pack forever, though. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I mean, just mean, so, he, but the way he plays off the characters, right. he, he makes it like recurring. It's almost episodic. It's, it's new age type stuff. Nobody can touch that. No, there are some guys on there that uh, are off the reservation uh, <laughs> mentally, and uh, it is uh, it is hilarious. And I don't say that he's making fun of the mentally ill. These are people who go on, who are on his staff. Mm-hmm. Who's? It's almost like. Uh, uh, jackass for the mind mm. you know it's mental yeah. it's uh you know it's you know because you can picture it it's not watching mm-hmm. um it's the brilliance of it right? bam majera getting in a uh shopping cart and going down a a ramp you know yeah. at 50 miles an hour yeah uh, to see how far or what he runs into yeah uh, you have these guys who are on there making these phony phone calls oh, and brilliant. anyways you know, when I was a kid, my dad told me that Howard Stern and David Stern were brothers, and I didn't really pick up that he was joking. I probably was not until I was about 18 or 20 years old, so I realized that wasn't the case, and I always thought, wow, that's so crazy that these brothers have such divergent career paths and personalities. <laughs> There's got to be a, an, a, an equivalent out there, you know, these two different careers. Like, Oh, well, like R.J. Reynolds. They are the Reynolds com- brothers. You know, one got into aluminum and the other one got into tobacco. Maybe a little different, but Jim Whitesell? Oh, sure. M- several brothers who have gone in much different directions than he has. UB's basketball coach who has brothers who were very involved in Hollywood. That's right. Uh, so we have a big game coming up on Sunday. The Buffalo Bills are favored to be 2-0. and they're favored to beat the Giants, I believe, by three and a half. We'll get into that with Joel Staniszewski when he calls in from Vegas uh, later on this hour. But, uh, Matt, you had a chance to talk about uh, the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen with Eli Manning today. Did Eli give any kind of indication of what's going on there in New York, or was it? Eli's mildly um, milquetoast as a, as a quote, but I thought he was – Better speaking sort of generally about, you know, his struggles as a young quarterback. And, I mean, think what you want about Eli Manning and who he is now. But I would say, um, objectively, he had a pretty successful quarterbacking career. It's He's become a, a shell of himself in some ways. but I think he's a Hall of Famer. I think there's an argument to be made. And I remember having a heated argument at one point when I was in college, probably, I don't know, what, five, six years ago with my roommates over Eli Manning versus Tony Romo, who was better. And, I mean, Eli Manning probably takes the cake there, I think. I've had an argument, Eli Manning or Jim Kelly, who Jim Kelly obviously is in the Hall of Fame. That is a 
that's a strong one. I don't know if I'd give Eli Manning that much credit, but he's he's pretty decorated quarterback. And part two-time of it, Super Bowl MVP, a four-time Pro Bowler, which of course doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot in this era. Era, excuse me, this era of the NFL. Uh, but uh, two-time Super Bowl MVP means a lot. Absolutely, three hundred and sixty-one touchdowns, two hundred and thirty-nine interceptions. That's a big discrepancy in terms of you know you you want to look at that you know compare that to Brett Favre. You know, so he has 158 more touchdown passes than he does interceptions. And uh, even though he's never really led the league in any case, in fact, he's led the league in interceptions three times, but he still has thrown way more touchdown passes. Um, he has a, a winning record despite having played on some really, really bad New York Giants teams. Uh, so, uh, yes, uh, Definitely deserves to be considered for the Hall of Fame. Probably deserves to be in. The only other quarterback who has won two Super Bowls and isn't in is Jim Plunkett. And he was not the MVP of those two Super Bowls that he was in. So uh, Eli Manning, you can also discredit him by saying, well, if not for a miracle David Tyree catch, they don't beat the Patriots in uh, 2007. Uh, yeah, but he, he made the play. And those are the that's his signature play to stay alive in the pocket. Should have been sacked, kept fighting for uh, to remain on his feet and deliver the pass. In and of itself, was a was an impressive play. You can make a lot of those arguments. You could take away a couple of Brady's rings if you wanted to to play that game. You know, if not for this, if not that, for the Tuck rule, if, if not for Adam Vinatieri, if not for Pete Carroll deciding to pass the football uh, or Daryl Bevel. More, more so, deciding to pass the football in that Seahawks Super Bowl. I mean, you can play that game all up and down. The Falcons Super Bowl. There's probably 15 plays they wish they didn't call uh, that led to that comeback. Eli Manning also has, you know, like it or not, the Hall of Fame is a, a political exercise in a lot of ways. And who has more, you know political capital in the football world than the the Manning family. I right. Mean, in terms of And the New York Giants, the right. Maras. And yeah, they're and will... making sure he gets the votes. I have a feeling that won't be uh, a huge, huge problem. Knowing what those guys look for and, you know, the type of conversations that that happen and, you know, the people in football that like Eli Manning. So I mean, yeah, probably uh, a potential future Hall of Fame quarterback on the field. He won't look like it most likely on Sunday due to a combination of Buffalo's defense and Manning's relative ineptness at this point in his career. But he he peaked, uh, and he had some pretty good years. Despite a lopsided result, 35-17 loss to Dallas, Eli Manning completed 68% of his passes for 306 yards and a touchdown, no interceptions. A pretty good day for him. And that's what Saquon Barkley can do for you uh, when a defense is lined up just to take away Saquon Barkley. Uh, Sterling Shepard, uh, I'm not sure where he stands today. He's the slot receiver uh, for New York. And, Still in protocol. Yeah, he, like. he suffered uh, a concussion in that game Sunday, so he might not be on the field. That would be a big loss for Eli Manning. Um, I think that this is a vulnerable opponent. The Bills should be 2-0 and uh, Sunday around 4-15. I would agree. Uh, I think the most interesting part about Eli Manning is, and and we probably do this, I don't know, I don't want to say too much because there's not 
there's an unending amount of interest in in Josh Allen and his development. And I think it's a fascinating sort of subplot and just dynamic in general is how do you develop quarterbacks? What makes the good ones? How do you know? Uh, There's so many different directions you can take it. And the thing with Eli Manning that's kind of funny is that he didn't complete 60% of his passes until his fifth season in the NFL. And you think about Eli Manning and you don't really think inaccurate quarterback. Uh, And yet here's a guy that still struggled to get those completion percentage numbers up. And even uh, his best two completion percentage years, uh, well, his best year was last year by far, 66%. And pretty much everybody after last year said he was shot and that the Giants made a mistake not moving on from him a year earlier. So he talked a little bit about that, just how, you know, completion percentage in general uh, doesn't tell the whole story and that there's so much that goes into it that, in terms of understanding your offense, understanding how to get out of bad plays and into good ones, or understanding when the defense has you beat even before the snap um, that can help you become a better completion percentage quarterback because you know when to take the four-yard play and move on instead of sitting back there wondering what the hell you're doing. So, And what you're saying, it should be pointed out for those who uh, you know can't see exactly the the obvious metaphor that you're making here this is what applies to Josh Allen Uh, so everything that Eli Manning here is saying about how he developed in terms of building on his accuracy uh, coming in uh, when he did and completing less than 50 percent of his passes uh, his first year with the Giants and then only 53 percent in his second season uh, this is what applies to Josh Allen and his growth and the fact that a quarterback who leaves college with accuracy issues can uh, manipulate and practice and uh, prepare himself in ways, both mentally and physically, to improve completion percentage. I think mentally might even be the bigger part of it, uh, because I think you know there there's such a difference between your completion percentage and your accuracy in so many ways, and. The completion percentage speaks a lot to your offense and how you you operate, how you play, and then you know how well you process information and and where if you know where your outs are, where your successful plays are going to be, and where you're able to to dump it off. So I don't know. I thought it was, it was an interesting. You hear so much about Eli Manning and you know everybody in New York talking about how how dull he is. They say Daniel Jones is the perfect heir apparent because he's just as dull in the media, but I don't know. It was six-ish minutes that he was uh, chatting with me and Mark on from the Buffalo News, and it didn't felt like he was, feel like he was short or, you know, evading questions. He could have easily said, well, I'm not talking about my rookie year. I'm talking about trying to beat the Bills on Sunday, but he, he was open to it, and he, I mean, he's not going to you know, be an open book and share his life story necessarily. But um, I thought he was insightful in that way because, like you said, there's a lot of parallels to Josh Allen. And Eli Manning, as a second-year player, went 11-5, and threw 24 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, completed only 52% of his passes for 3,700 yards. Would we be shocked if Josh Allen is in that ballpark? 52%, 3,700, 24, and 17. 
11 and 5 record. 11 and 5 seems is, like a reach. Yeah, 52% to 11 and 5 does not seem to be equivalent. But it happened. Eli Manning is proof of it. That was a good giant team. Tiki Barber was still around then, I believe. That was a, a veteran group. But, you know, Josh Allen played the way that he did on Sunday, and they won because of the defense and the way the schedule is. And if he can just make enough plays, I don't. I think 11 wins is a bit of a stretch, but I don't know. Everybody's predicting him to win 10. A lot of people are predicting them to win 10. The difference between 10 and 11 is a ball bouncing your way. So I don't know. I think I, I, I always get interested looking at certain quarterbacks and how they did in their second and third seasons and, and seeing if there's a, a roadmap that, that Josh Allen can follow. More Bills talk when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and public consultants, CTBK. We're going to talk Bills. Uh, maybe, oh, we're definitely going to talk gambling uh, and the degenerates that we are. Uh, we have Joel Staniszewski coming up shortly to give us his thoughts on the Bills, both when it comes to spread and the over-under total. And also we're going to get into quarterbacks and how they affect the spread from team to team in the National Football League. If your starting quarterback is out, some teams it doesn't matter as much because, well, maybe the quarterback's not that swift and there isn't as big of a drop-off to number two. Or maybe you're just doomed when certain quarterbacks can't play. Joel Staniszewski going to help us break that down when we come back on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. This is The Tim Graham Show. Other than it's a silly, I'm doing the wanking motion right here. In unacceptable condition! Unacceptable! On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to The Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. For all your accounting taxes, litigation support, acquisitions, and mergers, give CTBK a call. 716-630-2400. UB Penn State foosball. UB holds a lead at halftime. I don't know that anybody really thought that they were going to hold on to it. Fairburn and I had a little had a little action on that game, and uh, so we were watching intently. My feeling the entire way was Penn State just needed to get the ball. Obviously, there's a uh, big edge that UB held in time of possession because of the way they were able to run the ball. That was surprising. And if you're a Penn State fan, you have to be concerned about that. Now, UB is a team that can run. They do have capability there, but it is a mid-American conference opponent. And the Big Ten is known for its ability to run the ball. All those corn-fed Midwesterners at Wisconsin and Minnesota and all these places that traditional run-first 
teams where fans get into that and you know let's I'm, look i'm probably showing some ignorance as to exactly who does what in the big 10 now maybe all three of the teams i just mentioned are spread and go five wide and i was a, a run heavy school that big 10 that's kind of their reputation it was Lee the big smith loves it yeah heck yeah he does penn state is presumptively a very good defensive team this year but to see UB gash them in the run game has to be disconcerting uh, for Nittany Lions fans. I will say that uh, Terry Pagula, I had a chance to talk to him on Sunday morning. Uh, he was he was a little uneasy at halftime that his uh, alma mater wasn't going to be able to close this one out. But then Penn State gets the ball, and as I predicted, Mac can bear witness to this. I said all they need to do is get up two scores, and then it's – a slaughter because Penn State is going to be able to get after UB. UB is going to have to pass. They can't continue just to play ball control offense that suited them in the first half. So anyway, Jonah, you cover UB. Uh, your thoughts on what this means for UB because after that Robert Morris victory in week one, they they did not look dominant against a really poor Division One AA program in Robert Morris. And then they go to Penn State on the road and acquitted themselves. Yeah, I would say at least with that first half, they looked better. You feel better if you're a UB fan coming out of that game, I think, than you did the week before against Robert Morris. They were should have dominated Robert Morris more than they did, especially early in the game. Robert Morris was able to move the ball on them. And it wasn't just that they had that lead at halftime. They were dominating the time of possession and the yardage. They looked more prepared. The play calling, it, it just – Matt Myers is a redshirt freshman quarterback. His decision-making and his poise in the first half before, you know, he threw that pick six in the second half. Antonio Nunn, a wide receiver who was injured in the first game, came back, had a big, I think, five catches, 117 yards, something like that. He – they just looked a lot more impressive in that first half than I expected them to, than they did the week before. And to do that, even though the, the game got out of hand in the second half, to do that on the road at Penn State is a good sign that they'll be competitive in MAC play. Now they got Liberty coming up. Liberty's not very good. They're, they're favored to win that game. Non-conference opponent. Home game against Temple next week. That'll be a, a pretty good test to see where this UB team is. But being able to play that well at Penn State, even for just a half, suggest that they should be one of the better, at least a competitive team in the MAC this year. UB was ahead of Penn State 10-7 at half, and then Penn State, because of some turnovers and some sloppy play and getting overwhelmed, which you would expect to happen uh, at uh, in Happy Valley in that big stadium, and Penn State can get deep in terms of its lineup. You have guys who are probably a little overly jacked up, if you're a UB player heading into that big stadium with that crowd and all that pageantry and things you're not used to, and by the time you get to halftime, I can guarantee you that they were more fatigued than Penn State. And even if they weren't, Penn State can then go to some backups and replenish and cycle through some players in the second half that UB can't because the second stringers on Penn State are kids that were recruited to other Big Ten schools and SEC schools and things like this. So uh, Penn State then scores 28 points in the third quarter to win 45-13. to 13. And as Matthew and I were curious about, cover the spread. By a Barely. point. 
By a point, yes. 30, 31 point favorites, and uh, they won by 32. That deep pass at the end was thrilling. Penn State did More not. More thrilling than it should be. That was also my prediction. I don't know if this was actually uh, what the thought process was, but we were we were having problem with the fact that Penn State could just run the clock out if it wanted to. My rationale was, I said, Penn State, for its boosters, to make them feel better about this uh, and what happened at halftime and the nervousness of an opponent like UB being ahead of them through uh, 30 minutes of play, I said, Penn State's going to try to score an extra touchdown here, and they're going to they're going to get a, go for a cheap one, and they did. They they threw a long pass late in the game uh, to cover the spread. It seemed like they knew the spread, and they were playing to that number. <laughs> Maybe. There was a feeling to that. Yeah. The Do you think that happens? I mean, I don't know. You know they're aware of the spread. But I I do think they're aware of that number. And maybe, I don't know, like as you mentioned, to your alumni and your boosters, maybe they're feeling uh, a lot of our fans bet on us. We we owe it to them to to score these points. I don't know. I I mean, they scored, what what did they score against Idaho the week before? 79 points, 77? Yeah, it was an outrageous number. A team that doesn't really take their foot off the gas. And, you know, they're going to run up the score if they have that opportunity. Betting on college football is very strange. Because of all those variables that you mentioned, will this team run up the score? Is this opponent one that might let a 10-point game become a 40-point game in the blink of an eye? And it's a weird—I mean, you look at the spreads in college football compared to the NFL. I mean, this week's a little bit different because New England has a 19-point spread. Before you get into that, there's also another element with college betting that I find, I think it's there, is, is the coach who respects the other coach too much to run right. up the score, or because they have a non-conference series every year, they don't want to totally annihilate the other team. They'll they'll maybe let up a little bit at the end to help the opponent save face. Right. This team came here to play us, and they're doing us a solid we don't want to. They're getting paid. Them. Yeah, they're getting paid. But you know, Nick Saban was just complaining last week about yelling at reporters, saying, "You guys go find somebody to play us," because you know nobody wants to go down there to get whacked. And you know, you're, there probably is an element of, "All right, let's let's ease up on these guys in the second half, so right. that we don't, uh, so that we can get somebody else to come down here next year." I think Buffalo would go down and play them. I don't know what kind of open dates they have, but I bet maybe Nate Oates can. Talk to him and or Rodak, yeah, or Mike Rodak. <laughs> he can relay the word. What you were gonna say about some of these spreads? Well, you've got the you know the New England Miami one, which is nineteen at the moment, and Good Lord, Baltimore Arizona is thirteen and a half. Every other game is under ten, and most of those, other than one other one, are all under a touchdown. Whereas in college, Incarnate Word is getting is is giving twenty eight points. Alabama had a 55-point spread that you could actually bet on if you wanted to. Usually they take those off the board, but college is just weird that way. And that game we were betting on, 31-point spread. I mean, predicting whether a team will cover a 31-point spread is a weird exercise. And it opened at 21, so everybody was jumping on that. Yeah, it gets bet from 21 to 31. That's 10 points. No line in the NFL is going to get bet on to the point where at 10 points it swings. It's, college football is 
something else. Yeah, it was, it was some, a good time. It was something else on Saturday night at the uh, at the Marriott Bar as we were it had legally me up betting one something watching that Hawaii. Got to get some Hawaii action out Jesus. there on the deep West Coast. Yeah, it's a good thing it's a state away. The problem uh, that I see, or a potential problem, if I were to spend more time in New Jersey, isn't so much the sports betting. It's the other games that they have on there, like blackjack, roulette. You don't have to wait for a game to start. You can just be having your morning constitutional and decide you're going to get in a few hands of blackjack. Uh, it's like being in a casino almost, right? I mean, j- just At even all easier. Yeah, yeah. Basically. without the cigarette smoke. Wow. That's dangerous. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, once the money is loaded into your account, it is. <laughs> yeah, that's the there's one. no inertia between <laughs> you and uh, yeah. Hawaii and the over parlay, as I found out. You know, wow. especially after, you know, a few pops at yeah. the bar, you're like, yeah, I think Hawaii is going to hit the over. <laughs> I've seen that before, right? <laughs> They're playing at home. Let's get after it. I want to know does anybody bet unders in college football? It seems like a foolish exercise. Nerds. That's who. <laughs> <laughs> I saw some scores that Tops. looked like they seemed too high to me, but I don't think unders are fun to bet. Even if you think it's the right, I guess I stay away from unders because you can sit and root for scoring and you're always in the game. It, well, Especially unders, in football yeah. with overtime and oh, things can get outrageous. Yeah, you don't have to be like, no, no, no. But an under, at some point, your game, like for instance, one game that I bet that I thought was going to go way over was USC Stanford. And I don't remember what the total was, but it was over uh, by halftime. I had won my bet by halftime. Now, if you took the under, you've, <laughs> you're, you're, you don't even get entertainment value yeah. out of that. You can't at least if you're gonna lose. If I'm gonna lose a bet, I at least want to get three hours worth of of entertainment value out of it. If you bet unders, you're rooting for missed field goals and block punts. Maybe maybe not even block like punts. A you're rooting for a lot of punts and overtime would kill you. Where where is it in your favor if you bet overs? Or maybe if you're playing in a monsoon, there's a bad weather situation and the turf's know. coming up or falling apart. Maybe you want to take the under. It's not always a – it can be a smart bet, but it's not the fun bet, especially in college football. Right. And to your point, I was heavy on Texas. I, we were on the plane. We weren't even in New Jersey, and I was convincing you guys that Texas was, was the play, and they very much were not the play. But it wasn't until LSU hit that but it was big fun. play. It was fun I, to watch. I enjoyed it. I didn't feel like I lost that bet. It felt like, well, I you know threw something down and, and – gave it a try and I enjoyed the game. That's the way you have to look at it. You can't look at it as I need this money. It is I'm willing to pay this money for the entertainment. That's the healthy way to look at it. And if I win, then great. If I don't, if you get to a point where you're not, you didn't enjoy the, the beat. If you, yeah, if you didn't enjoy the wager itself, then you, then you're into yeah, problem you territory. You, you can't laugh at yourself for LSU. Then you can't afford breaking it. off a, or, you know, it probably would have been a lot better if I hadn't, you know, hit the money line twice during the game, <laughs> doubled and tripled down. Yeah, you were aggressive on that. You got to <laughs> you gotta know going. when to— He got uh, aggressive. He did triple down on you the You got to know bet. when to fold, you know, and I was not ready to fold. If you are the type that does like betting the under, Bill's Jets delivered for you. That's right. all the elements. Oh, for the sure. The feds cashed out on that one. Missed extra point. <laughs> safety. Giving you, putting you, putting you— uh, Comfortably ahead at eight nothing. I think the over under was in the low forties, wasn't it? That was a low over under game. 
Yeah, I think it was 41. Jeez. Hey, let's bring in a professional. Let's take a break. Let's get Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas, and we'll talk this through. We're also going to talk about quarterbacks and how they affect the point spread uh, when they are unavailable because quarterbacks really are the only position in football in which their absence will affect the line. Now, there are some super elite players, uh, almost Nobody on defense, but maybe maybe somebody like a J.J. Watt or a Troy Polamalu when he was playing that might affect it a half a point. Even great receivers and great running backs don't really affect the spread at all. It's the quarterbacks. And uh, some interesting numbers came out last week about that, and Joel Staniszewski going to help us break those down and take a look at the Bills-Giants matchup when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Besaw and Kirshner CPAs and business consultants here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I got to do a commercial for this stuff. This <laughs> mm. is Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by... Mm, I was on a nice roll there for a while. Jonah Bronstein shaking his head. No, I... It's the S sounds. Mm. They tie my tongue up. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. You know who could bail us out of this? I promised on uh, Twitter that we might have a couple of special guests today, or a couple surprises. I said, "Right, see if you can get uh, Russ Brandon. Can you again? Yeah, hold on. Yeah, let's see if we can get Russ." Thank you for calling New Era Cap. If you know your party's extension, please dial it now. For a company directory by name, press star. Spell the last and first name, then press pound. For Q, press 7. For Z, press 9. For help, press 0. For Russ Brandon, at extension, pound. To cancel, press star. Wait while I transfer your call. Sorry, Russ Brandon is not available. Record Damn it. a message at the tone. <laughs> when you are finished, hang up or press pound for more options. Every, every time. My junk... Oh, and we could have left that for the voicemail. Who was that? That was uh, Gronk. Oh, Gronk talking about his junk. Yeah. You know how that goes. All right. So we can't get Russ Brandon on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. But who we can get. From Buffalo to Las Vegas. The Bills make me wanna. Everyone who hates Tom Brady hates Tom Brady because he's not on there. Tomorrow is my birthday. But I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, the excitement that's around the, the, the city as a whole. It's more like a royal flash. Jackpot! 
Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas. Joel, we had to squeeze you in last week because the show just had too much guest power on it, and you, unfortunately, were the last guest. It's like the uh, What Up With That skit on uh, on Saturday Night Live where Lindsey Buckingham just always just never had time to get Lindsey Buckingham on. Joel, thanks for giving us uh, your time again. We, we have like a, an extra segment for you today. All right, let's do it. So what do you think about these? Uh, well, let's talk about the Bills first. That's what everybody wants to hear about. What do you think about your beloved Buffalo Bills, Joel Staniszewski, the pride of Sloan, St. Joe's, Buffalo State? Your Buffalo Bills are two-point favorites, maybe a point and a half, uh, uh, but they opened at two and a half. That means the money's coming in on the Giants. Yeah, that that game to me was one of the big ones this week that was an overreaction. Uh, when the lines came out at the beginning of the season before any games were played where they put up all six, the first 16 weeks, uh, the Giants were actually supposed to be a three-point favorite. And as we saw what happened week one, uh, the Giants lost, the Bills won, the line came out two and a half. That that can be seen too high. Uh, you know, pick one and a half towards the Bills would be uh, my my number that I that I put out, that I would have put out. Uh, yes, there's more money coming in on the Giants, uh, rightfully so. And, uh, you know, it's, just, it's, get, it's now it's sitting at where it's supposed to be, right at two points. So that's where we're at right now. And what do you think about that number? I know you just said that one and a half would be your number that you posted if you were an odds maker, and let it be known to the people listening. And is that Joel Staniszewski used to be an odds maker? He's a handicapper. He's an industry analyst. Uh, what is your preference? I guess I should say at the betting window. From a, from a betting standpoint, uh, I, this is the type of game where the Bills would lose historically. You know, a game where everyone's like, "Oh, they're actually a decent team." Had they not had those four four turnovers, they should have killed the Jets by you know two touchdowns or more. Uh, and so it's it's that the game where we're ready for the Bills to to win a big one, and this is where the game where we where we would lose historically. Uh, I obviously want the Bills to win. I, I think they can win if we don't make the mistakes that we made last week and continue to play like we did. Uh, I think we're in a great place to, to win this game. I think the big uh, X factor is is going to be if we can stop the run. Joel Staniszewski, uh, it should also be known, is that you don't bet on the Bills to lose because they're your team. You don't ever want to get in a position to root against your team. So that means... If you think that the line or the, that the number isn't right, you just don't bet on it. So will you be betting on this game? Uh, no, I will not. Oh, boy. At least not pregame. Uh, if, if we're into in-game wagering, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll consider it depending upon the number or the money line. When the Bills were down against the Jets, I bet the Bills plus 350. I bet the Bills plus $3. Then when the Bills took the lead, I bet the Jets plus 525. So it was a win-win situation. For me, obviously, I wanted the Bills to win. It won me more money. But had the Jets come back and scored and won, then uh, you know I still would have come out on top. So in that type of situation, in a game like this, I'll kind of see how the game is being played and look into it for the in-running bets, possibly. But pre-game, I won't bet it now. 
How much would that bet uh, on the Jets, minus 525, how much did that wager cut into your earnings? Not much because it was, you know, because it was a plus five twenty five. I think it was a forty dollar bet. Sorry, plus five twenty five. I'm sorry, I said. Yeah, minus. I think it, I think it was like a forty dollar bet, uh, which you know would have won me whatever it was a, a combined payout of like three hundred dollars. But the the risk versus the reward was worth it to me to lose forty dollars out of my winning to guarantee that I would win at least three hundred dollars on one game, which was which was awesome. That's the stuff that I have trouble doing in the heat of the moment, uh, and it takes, I think, a trained mind. Unfortunately, to get trained, you lose money. <laughs> Working out those right. muscles uh, to get them uh, finely tuned to be able to pounce on those numbers when you see them. Now, this isn't an exact science. I bet the Steelers in running when they were at 12-1, to 1, when they, and then they started to drive the length of the field. And I thought, perfect, if they score this touchdown, I can get off of all of this and be guaranteed some winnings. And, of course, they didn't, and they just got blown out from there on out. So Yeah, because I think at know, that time, I'm, if I'm guess, I'm going to take a stab at when that was, I think the score was 30-3, to three, and uh, the, the, plus the, uh, the spread was 23.5 or something like that. So if the Steelers score the touchdown there, then they, you win by half a point. Right. You got it. Um, let's talk real quick uh, about these quarterback spreads. I find it fascinating, and I guess it's appropriate uh, that we didn't talk about them last week because Eli Manning is an outlier in this. Um, in terms, of, for instance, just to, to explain, uh, Aaron Rodgers has a spread value according to uh, BetOnline.ag uh, has a spread value of minus seven and a half. So if Aaron Rodgers is not available. Uh, and the Packers have to go with their backup quarterback, it's going to affect the spread, according to these numbers, 7.5 points. So you can go all the way down. They rank them. Josh Allen is worth one point. But the only player who's a plus one is Eli Manning. Um, why, what is it about Eli Manning? And maybe it's, uh, maybe it's changed at, based on what we learned last week, but to make him a plus one. That's based upon his age, uh, based upon how he played last week, and based upon the fact that they drafted Daniel Jones to be his successor. So I believe, as far as I could think of off the top of my head, I guess you could also maybe say Ryan Fitzpatrick is the quarterback who's starting as a placeholder for their successor to come in behind them. Uh, so you have to take that into account. Uh, you take a couple of things into account. When you, when you look at this number, you have to look at the quarterback that's the starter, obviously. You look at the backup and whether or not they are a viable starter in the NFL. We'll say uh, uh, Philip Rivers' backup, Tyrod Taylor. That, he's a viable starter in the NFL. Now, Philip Rivers is a six and a half. So obviously, that means obviously that he's that much better than Tyrod Taylor, which is true. But Tyrod Taylor still is a viable starter. In the NFL, same goes for Nick Mullins, Blake Bortles, uh, RG3. You know, so you have Ryan Tannehill. You have quarterbacks that are backups that could start in a pinch, and their team would be not that much off worse for wear, especially if, you, if you're looking into a team that primarily runs the ball, the Giants, when their their focal point of their offense is like Saquon Barkley. So whether it's it's Eli Manning handing off to him or throwing dump passes to him or Daniel Jones doesn't really make that big of a difference to the team. When you're looking at Aaron Rodgers, yes, he's the best quarterback arm talent, I guess you could say, in the NFL. But who, do you even know who his backup is? 
without looking it up? Matt? Because <laughs> I had to look it up. No, the guy, what was it? We were watching him in the preseason game. Uh, yeah, he's, Boyle. Yes. Oh, Boyle, yeah, because yeah. I was making fun of him because right. he threw more interceptions than touchdowns in college. I'm thinking, how's this guy on an NFL roster? That's right, Tim Boyle. Tim Boyle. So there were a couple quarterbacks, so I had to look up who their backup was, and he was the first one. I was like, who, who is the backup? I knew it was uh, Ryan Lindley or whatever, but they had traded him, I thought, to Arizona. So when you look up the backup quarterback and whether or not they're viable starters, whether they're the future quarterback of the team, uh, when you look at Case Keenum and Ryan Fitzpatrick with Dwayne Haskins and uh, Rosen behind those two, the one that really stood out to me that was a big question mark, was, the two, was Philip Rivers, because I feel like Tyrod Taylor is a, a pretty good backup quarterback, and for him to go down six and a half points because of Rivers being out, I thought was a bit much. And the other one that was a crazy question mark for me was Andy Dalton is a zero to Ryan Finley. So that to me was a, a rookie who did not look good in the preseason. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, or maybe they're uh, counting on local boy Jake Dolagala to uh, pick up the, the slack there. Uh, while looking up backup quarterbacks, my favorite is the third-string quarterback be- behind Tyrod Taylor. His name is Easton Stick. Yes. Made me think of playing hockey as, as a kid. Do they, do so, they even make Eastons anymore? <laughs> I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> Not my childhood's ruined. Joel, real quick, because we're almost out of time, but I, I wanted just to make this point, uh, or you to make the point, what offensive player other than a quarterback would you consider a spread changer? Is, uh, who uh, in the, like the a best, Saquon Barkley best, or whom else? Yeah, Saquon Barkley, Julio Jones, the best offensive player on the team. So, yes, Dak Prescott is a really good quarterback. He's a minus four to Cooper Rush. But, again, that's a, a running – yes, he threw for 400 yards, but that, that offense goes um, through Ezekiel Elliott. So a player like that, running back probably more than receiver – because of the fact that most teams have three to four receivers, a tight end, a, uh, a running back out of the backfield, whereas they only have usually one or two at most really good running backs. Uh, so if it's a big-name starting running back who is a great running back, Adrian Peterson in his prime, uh, you know Barry Sanders, those are obviously huge names. But even Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley, those guys are the guys that would also – move the line very rarely will you ever find a a defensive player that will move a line and even Khalil Mack how great he is is probably the the number one person that I could think of off the top of my head that's currently playing that could affect the line even a little bit and I'd still doubt that no that's amazing well thanks for the insight Joel Uh, appreciate you coming on and we look forward to talking with you next week all right. Thanks, guys. Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas. Uh, I want to thank Zig Fricasi of Sirius XM NFL Radio and Niagara Catholic from coming on uh, to talk about the NFL with us. I want to thank Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic for coming into the studio again for the full two hours. For my co-host, Jonah Bronstein, for the producer, Bobby Rosati, I am Tim Graham, and you have been listening to The Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Besaw and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Catch you next week on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan.